You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers Initiative. Well, I guess they're assembled now. And to help me in, well, talking about the assembled Avengers... Is John Mills? Sure. Yeah. Let's uh, let's get the band back together and break them up again, so that we can uh, milk that sweet, sweet cash cow in the build up to the next inevitable Avengers team up. Oh, that sweet, sweet Disney cash. Well, That's where we are now yeah. in the series. So. Yep. But uh, yeah, I mean, I it's we we have assembled the Avengers, John, and now we're in a whole new phase. In fact, I like to call it Phase Two. Phase Two. Phase two, indeed, which is, again, another uh, terrific opportunity, I suppose, to have a Black Widow movie, right? Now that we've introduced her character and had her in the big team up, inevitably, Mm -hmm. since Iron Man's gotten two movies and Thor's gotten his movie and Captain America got his movie and, well, nobody talks about Hawkeye, so whatever, but like, inevitably, Black Widow's coming up soon, right? That's that's going to happen. It's got to be. I'm sure it will be. It but must. before we get there, we're actually going to have our third Iron Man movie. Oh, okay. Well, we'll we'll, we'll delay it for a little bit then. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, it'll it'll come. Uh, but uh, before we get there, uh, and before we get to Black Widow in the future, uh, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we're in the Six Hundred Two Club feed as a bonus show, so make sure you're subscribed and you get all of the shows in that feed. We'd really appreciate that. And uh, of course, you can also help out the show by giving us a star rating review over there and Apple Podcasts help people find the show and if you review that we'll thank you on the show we really appreciate everybody's done that y'all if you would like to talk to us you need to go over to twitter at the 602 club and follow us there interact with us there we've had some great conversations that have been going on about what we've been doing here not only on the 602 club but also in assembling avengers some I, honestly, I, John and I today we're going back and forth with uh, some people uh, about what we've been talking about here, especially as they look forward to the Avengers show that had just come out. So, um, and of course, you could find us uh, on Instagram at Six Hundred Two Club TFM. We're on Facebook at facebookcom FM. There's the listeners only discussion group you could find called the Babel Conference if you want to talk to listeners from all over the world, and of course Trek.fm where you can find all of the shows and of course our main imprint there online as well. So, John, we come off the Avengers, and I, I kind of wanted to even just ask you that. I mean, we we kind of made a little bit of a joke about you know what would be the first thing to follow up the movie and we asked the question with the second iron man did we really need this and so do you feel like that as we start phase two that iron man three was the right way to kick that off it's um it's an interesting question because i don't know that i was putting that type of thought into it i know that a lot of my commentary comes from the fact that I, you know, it's the benefit of hindsight and you can, after the game is played, you can talk about what the coach decided to do 
regardless of whether it was win or lose, what play would have, would have been the best, would have right. made the most sense next in the sequence. And honestly, I don't know that I came out of Avengers really thinking about it. I, I honestly mm -hmm. think that there was a part of my brain that said, okay, they built up and they got Avengers on screen, which is something we never thought was possible, that you would be able to have a big comic book team up like that. Or to have it function the way a comic book does. And so it's like, wow, right. you guys did it. I thought that was just, that was the point where you just spike the ball and walk away. I, I honestly, I was like, <laughs> I didn't even really think of it past that. You, you won the Super Bowl. Congratulations. I'm not worried about next season right now. So what, what about you? Were you thinking about what comes next or anything? You know, I, I don't really know. Um, and and one of those things is is because obviously it was 2012 when that came out. You know that is almost 10 years ago at this point. Yeah. Um. And uh, it's difficult to kind of recollect what I was thinking coming out of Avengers and and what I was hoping to see. Now I do think when I just kind of put my you know hindsight glasses on. It does kind of make sense to follow this up with another Iron Man movie. Obviously, you kicked off, you know, the whole Marvel Universe with Iron Man and his experience in, and Tony's experience in Avengers. I think the way they follow it up here, you know, it, it kind of, to me, it legitimizes the fact that we're going to do Iron Man 3 as the kickoff for Phase 2. You're, you're right. And the thing is, as I'm going through in my brain, they do sort of just hit repeat, just skipping over the Hulk because we go Iron Man, mm -hmm. Thor, Captain America, and then uh, Guardians gets slipped in there, which is the little spicy detour. But essentially, we just hit a repeat of the same cycle that we had with phase one. So I suppose that makes sense in and of itself, you know, to your point, because... Great. We did this pattern before and it worked. And I guess that speaks immediately to the fact that once Marvel found a formula, okay, we're just going to do the formula again because people were happy with it and we'll keep doing it till yeah. it, we'll do it till exactly. it breaks. Yeah. Well, it, except for, like you said, Hulk, we'll, we'll skip that this time. Well, you know, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> there are, although, although technically they do at least get a, uh, a reference in with the stinger, right? So in a That's sense, true. at least That's Hulk, true. yeah. Hulk is appearing concurrently with Iron Man, which the first Hulk mm -hmm. movie did. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's super interesting. So, I, you know, I can't, as I mentioned, I can't remember what I was even thinking or feeling the first time that this came out, like in the sense of like, I don't remember seeing it for the first time. I did see it in this in the theater. I'm assuming that, it, you know, at this point that you did too. No, I'm pretty sure I didn't. I'm pretty oh, sure wow, I okay. didn't see it until, and the thing is, I'm trying to think what was going on in my life at the time, because this this came out in 2013, so it's a year after, and if it was 2013, I am, I mean, good good grief, that's so long ago now that it's like, uh, okay, I know I had two kids, and I know, you know, right. <laughs> that sort of thing, it's like, <laughs> uh, there's a whole lot of um, uh, fuzziness with that. Uh, was this a this was a Christmas time movie, right? Well, I mean, or am I confusing that because it's set? No, it was released in May. Okay, because it's set mm -hmm. at Christmas time, so that's why I'm thinking it was yes. released around then. But, but like all Shane Black movies, it's set at Christmas time. Yeah, that's so true. We'll we'll talk. We'll I'm sure we'll get to that. But no, uh, May 2013. I'm trying to even think 
why I would have missed it. Uh, you know what? I'm just going to say work related. That's why. Sure. Let's just go with that. Yeah. No, yeah. that's understandable. No, I mean, I think I, this, this is going to be, I think, an interesting conversation just all around because, uh, you know, Iron Man 3 is, is a, I think, a more contentious movie in the realm of the MCU fan. I mean, there are people that love it. There are people that hate it, you know. And so what I'm really interested then is after you saw this movie, what were your initial thoughts? How were you feeling after watching Iron Man 3? Was it one that you had really liked, that you thought that they had made good choices with? Was it one that you came out of and thought, eh? Uh, I loved it. I I came out of it, absolutely loved it, from, from beginning to finish. And I don't know whether it's because I was predisposed to like something, because I, I like Shane Black's style. He, he writes He writes well. And he he get he has a gift for dialogue. He has a gift for character interaction. He has a gift for keeping action moving. And so, typically, even if it's a like Lethal Weapon two, which is a movie I don't particularly care for, he wrote the first draft of that script at least. Um, and interesting side note: killed one of the main characters in his version of the script before it was rewritten. And um, so it's you know, he, he did the last boy scout. He had a hand in predator. Like there are all of these things where it's like, I like what the guy does, you know? And, uh, also I know that the first question for me, cause now I'll reflect it back to you. When I was talking with a friend of the show, Sean Eastridge about it, he asked me what I thought. I said the same thing. I was like, I love it. And he said, and he said, most people hate it because of the turn. Because of the uh, the plot twist with the Mandarin, that they rejected it because of that. So let me bounce it back to you. What was your first reaction? And then fold into that. What did you think of that twist with the Mandarin? Did mm. it work for you? Yeah, this is one of the places where I think not being overly familiar with the Marvel comics came in handy. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I came out loving this movie as well. And mainly because like the first movie and what the second movie tried to do, this movie was about exploring Tony and his experiences, really truly following up his life and death experience uh, after Avengers and trying to move the character forward in some ways. And, 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 and in some ways, I think this movie is legitimately trying to put to bed some of the Tonyisms that we have seen throughout the series and kind of create a new road for him to go down where he will continue to be Tony, um, but he is also going to be a more enlightened Tony because of the experiences that he's been through with Avengers and just his own um, adventures as Iron Man. And so all of that... I really liked about this movie. Those are all the things that I've I've thought through, you know, from the very first time I've seen the movie. When it comes to the twist with the Mandarin, I didn't have an issue with it because I didn't know the comics. So I don't have any baggage coming in. And in many ways, I I thought it was a very interesting idea to basically have the villain have another villain as the face so they are able to be behind the scenes doing what they need to do uh it's very palpatine-esque right you know uh with uh, you know you think of him pulling all the puppet strings and he's the one behind the scenes that nobody realizes is there doing it in plain sight right and so i i thought that was really great and, and kind of worked um 
very well. And so I can't complain about that at all. Now, I mean, with you being more familiar with the comics, with the turn the Mandarin takes, how did you feel about that? I think in the context of the movie, it works. I, I it's It's something where what I find is so strange is I always point to The Godfather or Jurassic Park. Those are adaptations of written works. Very well-respected, loved written works that sold millions of copies and people loved. And guess what? When they adapted them and they made changes to them, people said, okay, that's different than the book. They make changes to anything that they have as an adaptation. And if anything, I give Shane Black a lot of credit and Marvel as a whole to say, why would I give you what you expect? Why, why would I just do a straight adaptation? Why not mix it up so that you can't anticipate where I'm going? It throws the audi- it throws that portion of the audience off kilter because they don't know mm-hmm. where it's going to go after right. that point. It's like, oh, wait, wait. Oh, no, I thought I knew where this was headed. So you're saying they subvert expectations. Well, we all know I'm a big fan of that, Matt, and it's very important <laughs> to do it as much as possible. But I, I would say that uh, more importantly, I think that, and especially with this rewatch here, I think probably at the time that I watched it, I wouldn't have seen it necessarily through this lens, but it is very, very much leaning into, and I'm, I'm, I, I, I have to tread very lightly here because I want everybody that listens to these words to know that I respect everybody that falls on any side of any conspiracy theory or any kind of aisle or any kind of anything, right? I... The, the world is a chaotic and beautiful place and everybody has a place in it, that sort of thing. That preamble done to sort of like CYA the moment here. Um, the Mandarin very much works in the fact that there is a very clear commentary about U.S. foreign policy and a very mm-hmm. unpopular vice president and wars in the Middle East going on at the time. And right. this idea that it's really the military industrial complex and its allies that are propping up these external threats mm-hmm. that aren't as dangerous as we would like to think, but it's really sort of that, um, that uh, to borrow a term that's floating out there, that sort of deep state war where it's the, this X file sort of thing where there are these shadow actors in the bureaucracies that are really doing everything. And when we see somebody like the Mandarin up there, you have to ask, okay, who funded him? Who who put that together? Who's actually behind all right. of this? And I know that people bristle because people pick and choose which conspiracy theories they enjoy. Mm-hmm. But in the context of this movie, making a commentary about the way things sometimes work, you know, Project MK Ultra and stuff mm-hmm. like that, where you find out that the CIA has been up to no good, you know, I, I mean, it's effective. I, I think it's really effective, mm-hmm. at least, and I think it's I think it's refreshing that you have something like this that's making some sort of bold statement about these things—a very mm-hmm. mature adult statement about the world—and I I like that. Right. I like it. No, I agree with you on that point. I do think that it is interesting. You know, we've kind of talked about it, and and one of the things that we had an issue with with Avengers was like, what is this about? And the fact that it seemed to be trying to say a lot of things, but not really finding a way to do that well. And because maybe there's just too much there, and there's too much going on, and it never really finds its focus in that. But I do think 
that not only um, is this really about the idea of who's funding who and who's pulling the strings for who, um, but I also do think that this is very much about the idea of, and I think this is very relevant to even the world that we live in, right? You have uh, this scientist trying to create extremists mm-hmm. and not thinking about whether or not she should, but whether, but if she, if she just could, um, and you know, she does seem to want to help, but in many ways, she's also so set on doing this that she's willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that it can be done. Yeah. And yeah, I I think that it reminds me of many of the conversations that we're having here in 2021 about people messing with things that they shouldn't be messing with and trying to, you know, uh, do all sorts of things scientifically that maybe they shouldn't be playing with. And, you know, I think Maya Hansen's character here is representative of that. So you have two different arms of, these things to which many times we find come together, right? Uh, terrorist type of organizations uh, and the people behind them that are truly behind them or maybe even accidentally behind them, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this goes all the way back to like when you think of uh, the living daylights, right? Yeah. Who we were funding then is who we end up fighting in Afghanistan later. You know, it, it's that's that type of thing. Um, but the same thing with this science, like... So I I I heartily agree with you. I think that one of the things that I really respond to, especially in rewatching this film, is that this movie is about something. It's mm-hmm. about Tony's journey, um, who has been somebody who was used to be absent mindedly about just making weapons to make money and he didn't care about what the repercussions or consequences of that are, to being somebody who's completely on the other side now. At the same time, seeing the repercussions of that type of thought process still playing out on another scale. And I think, you know, and obviously a a detrimental scale here for the film. So, you know, this movie, as fun as it is, as quippy as it is, as, you know, is Iron Man-ish and is, you know, it's full-on Robert Downey Jr. every single moment of the film, it's still saying something at all of the other levels which is very impressive and like it's you said i think that comes down to the writing with shane black and i think that uh, additionally shane black is the right person to bring in specifically because yes it's set at christmas time you know you throw <laughs> i think there's maybe two movies that shane black has done that aren't set at christmas time you have a, a broken character that essentially tony goes into um like a, a a Riggs type of story arc where mm-hmm. you could come into this cold and not have seen anything and it works. And you know how I feel about sequels. I should be able to come in cold right. and still enjoy it. Even if I say, oh, well, I should see the earlier one. I should be able to still enjoy what's happening with what's going on. And Tony has a full arc that's very clear and understandable mm-hmm. from where we pick up. And I think it it functions as the real Iron Man 2 because it actually advances Tony's character in an interesting way. And 
I think adds, you're talking about layers. One of the things that I know people also react about is the kid being a character in this. And I love the kid character, and I love the fact that Shane Black very, very craftily recasts what has been played as Tony's aloof nature. You find out that what it is is he's just really honest. And this kid is... Pepper figures him out. Pepper obviously works with him. But we see in the context of him stepping into this temporary father role for the kid that the kid craves this clear honesty from somebody, from a parental figure, from you know, from a father figure who's going to be able to to give to him this very clear blueprint. I'm never Tony's never going to lie to him. Tony's always going to be telling him the truth. And even when they're kidding around, Tony's sense of humor is right there with the kids and knows how to, you know, I, I love the scene where the, after they've had the, the fight, um, where the kid tries to put on the routine, you know, oh, of being yeah. cold and everything. And Tony just throws it back at him and just drives away. I thought that was super Because clever. we're connected. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, yeah. um, and and so that what's really interesting too is the action beats are all spaced out just right. I think they get mm. a little out of hand in some sense, but at the same time, Avengers rewrote the rules. We mm. rolled with Avengers, and so this movie says, "Fine, you took that. We're just gonna we're gonna do this. We're gonna just right. accept that this can happen because we're in comic wor- comic book world now." Right. Yeah, I I agree with you too. I I really like the idea of the kid. You know, I think that, you know, the the whole point about this kid and Tony um, and the idea of even putting this at Christmas time is really all about, you know, Christmas is a time about family and, and coming together. And what we see here is at this point in Tony's life, he feels the most alone. He doesn't have his tech. He doesn't have Pepper because he's put himself in a bad position where he needs to really stay away from her. He's having to try and figure all this out. And he he ends up meeting somebody who's in a similar position of, you know, his dad's left. You know, his mom's working all the time and it's just him. Right. You know, and, and he, you know, he has a sister, obviously, too, that he seems like you're probably he's trying to take care of, you know, in some ways since mom's working all the time. And so. Like you have these two characters who in a time when we would normally associate people having the most amount of come togetherness and enjoy having none of that and finding each other and helping each other out in that time. And then, of course, you know, the movie ends and we see Tony has sent him all these things and you you will then I mean, fast forward, we will see this kid again, you know, at the end of Endgame at Tony's funeral like you can. You know then that not only has the has Tony invested in this kid's life, but he's also kept in touch with this kid. So I, I think that continuation is something that really makes this pay off. But here in the movie, I think again thematically, it's it, it as you were mentioning, this is about the metamorphosis of Tony Stark and taking him from one place to another. And I think one of the ways in which they do that, and I know a lot of people also have a problem with this, is that for most of the movie, I would say probably 85% of this movie, we strip Tony of Iron Man. Yeah. And it's just about Tony 
coming to grips with who he is, the choices that he's made, and having to, in many ways, overcome some of the bad choices that he's made again that have led him. I mean, this movie is literally just part one over again, but in the same way, it's it's advancing the character, like you said again. Like, we're telling the same type of story beats for this character. He causes his own downfall. He, uh, you know, his arrogance kind of gets him into trouble. He's without his tech, except instead of it being the first 20 minutes of the movie, it's almost the entire movie where Tony has to find a way to get from point A to point B to point C only with his wits. Mm -hmm. Almost very seldomly is it with his actual tech. And you also are seeing who he is as a person, what he truly believes in, what he truly cares about. Like, we're breaking this character down. You know, we're melting him down so that we can kind of build him back up to by the time we get to the very end of the movie. Tony says again, you know, I am Iron Man. But this time, that Iron Man part of him is not literally a part of him anymore. It's a suit he will put on now. But it's not something to which he literally has to carry around with him every second of every day. And and it's almost as if that, you know, choice to go under the knife and take the shrapnel out is his way of excising a lot of those bad choices and demons finally to be able to kind of put on the new man, the new version of Tony. And I think at least... With where we leave Iron Man 3, that's where we leave the character, is one who's, we get the feeling like he's truly moved forward and made some important choices to which are going to make him a different person. How that plays out in the rest of the saga is is a totally different matter, but here, I think that's one of the things that makes this the strongest point of this movie. I, I do think that the... The unfortunate part is that this takes Tony to such an interesting and mature place by the end of it that the only thing they can do after this point is they either have to commit and embrace that and stay with it Mm -hmm. and have him elevate to a Nick Fury type of level or regress him for the sake of another movie. And we'll see where that goes coming up. And yeah. how well it Will plays they commit for to us. the bit or not? <laughs> yeah, basically. But I also want to say that with each one of the Iron Man movies, there's a, a corresponding, you know, he has a villain that he's got to overcome. In, in the first one, Obadiah is his friend who is jealous of his success. It's a very, very straightforward sort of antagonism there. In Iron Man 2, there's so much happening that doesn't mesh, that does not meld at all. And Sam Rockwell's character winds up getting lost in the mix. My question for you is, they then hit the reset button again, and we meet a third person played by Guy Pierce, who is Tony's adversary for fame and success and all of these things. Do you think they should have stuck with Sam Rockwell and had it be the Sam Rockwell revenge arc? Or do you think it's the smarter decision to hit the reset button and have a totally different person with Guy Pierce? I think what I love about them choosing Guy Pierce is that he is truly a mirror for Tony Stark, but he is the version of Tony who falls down his own well. Like, he's 
literally taking his own medicine and he is the person who Tony could have been, right? Tony could have chosen to continue to be the person who was willing to do anything to stay the status quo. Mm -hmm. And what, you know, this character Killian wants is to be a part of that status quo to which Tony has been a part of so long, right? He wants to be famous. He wants to be somebody who is looked at as being a genius. You know, he, he wants the fame and the glory and all of that that comes with it. And he's literally willing to do whatever it takes to be that. Whereas Tony just had all that. And when he realizes what that's cost other people, he shuts it down. Mm -hmm. And so I really like the mirroring that they do here with killing it. And I do, I guy Pierce, I have to give it to him. I think he's so good in this movie because he really embraces the Magno megalomaniacal maniac that you, you to portray somebody who's just in love truly in love with himself and what they're doing, regardless of how evil it is. And he doesn't care. And I think he plays that with such panache and like such just glorious evilness that I really respond to it. So, and I, not to take anything away from Sam Rockwell, but I think it's better to leave that character in the past and allow somebody else to come in and play that character because you don't have any baggage and I think just the way that it's written here is so smart. Again, it comes back, we keep talking about Shane Black, but I think he does a fantastic job here of really crafting something that um, works. And I think it's because, in many ways, it gets where Iron Man 2 was trying to go yeah. with this character, mm -hmm. but it actually succeeds in executing that goal. Well, it all it all starts with the script, and we both, I think, very justly and very roundly knocked Justin Thoreau's script for Iron Man too. That's really the point at which it started, where it's like, oh, you could have made this cut, you could have made that, and so Shane Black either sat down with Marvel and they said, "This is what we were trying to do. You can sort of see where it went wrong. Take that as a starting point for how we need to fix these things." Mm -hmm. And it really seems to me. As if Shane Black said, okay, I'll give you your real Iron Man 2, and we'll construct it in such a way mm -hmm. that just like Star Trek 6, you can ignore Star Trek 5 if you want to, because there's no direct reference to it. But if you liked it, okay, great. All right, yeah, sure, that happened too. We're not, yes. we're not directly contradicting yep. anything that you're talking about. And I think that actually this is the movie where Don Cheadle gets to play Rhodey, uh, to greater effect than Iron Man 2 and really underscores again that either at the end of Iron Man 1 or if they had Iron Man 2 structured the way that that we think it would have worked better with Don Cheadle in a much smaller role there where he just receives the suit at the end and, you know it's like okay Rhodey I trust you you'll be the guy who gets this and blah and that's that one scene where we introduce Rhodey and then this becomes his his coming out party as the character Mm -hmm. I like this character. I like this roadie. This is the moment where I'm no longer saying, what about Terrence Howard? This is the moment where I'm saying Don Cheadle is roadie and yeah. just rolling with it. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I, I think you're absolutely right in the way in which he embodies this character. 
is really a lot of fun. Um, and I think it's not only that, but I think it's that they give him something substantial to do in this movie. You know, with the fact that he truly is the avatar of the U.S. government in this movie. And they are actively trying to stop this terrorist. They're not just looking to, you know, the Avengers, you know, or an Iron Man to try and stop this person. And I think that really works. And I also, I love the, I love the way in which we kind of see, and and this was, again, it's it's a place where this movie does it better than the second movie, which is, we see in way the way in which the government allies itself with somebody that they don't truly understand that allows them to then kind of hack the technology that we've created where it's almost like where we see the importance of having a, a demarcation line of the people let, that we let be involved in things yeah. and you know Iron Patriot suit gets hacked again and, you know, Tony has to go basically in and fix it, but it's also what allows him to figure out what's going on. And so, you know, I think, I, you know, again, just Don Cheadle um, has a, has such, he's, it's just more substantial here. And I think it fits him as an actor better and, and just, it does the character more justice and absolutely it does feel exactly what they were trying to do again in two and it just takes this third time to kind of refine that and and really bring it into a place where like you said uh, you you like the character and you want to see more of him but i also think it's really beautiful because he is truly tony's friend again Mm -hmm. you know like he you know as he's trying to talk to tony about what happened trying to to push tony to find help you know, I yeah. think all of that is is really awesome um, because this isn't just about being heroes. This is about two guys who they're they're trying. One of them is trying to take care of the other who doesn't want to admit that something is really wrong. You know, and this is another place where you know Tony can't just fix it with technology he can't Mm -hmm. just you know work his way out of something and and i think that's another great point in this movie and i do wish there's one thing i would have liked to have seen i know they make a joke of tony going to quote-unquote therapy at the very in the stinger yeah but i do think it would have been nice and really helpful for anybody to see that tony finally does actually go to talk to somebody because yeah. that's what this character truly needs. Yes, he's been through this experience that's helped him through things. But in all honesty, Tony just needs some therapy to be able to talk through things, to be able to find a place where he can be more comfortable with what's happened to him. And and, and maybe not even comfortable, but find a way to live with it, to accept it, and to let it go. And I think it's that inability to actually do that, which creates the ability for them to take the character in the directions they will later on um so i I guess if there's anything that i really would have liked to have seen and i could really criticize the movie for i would say is that we're dealing with mental instability in tony in a way that i think i would have loved for them to to give 
you know, to the Marvel audience and to the general public to say, hey, you got these kind of problems. It is okay to go so- to talk to somebody that's yeah. licensed and, and, and has, a you know, it, this is their job is to help you through these type of things. So, the st- yeah, I, I agree. The stinger plays for kind of a cheap laugh in that context. It would have been possibly, probably nicer to have him talking to Cap about it. And have Cap being, I yeah, I kind of get 100%. what you're saying, but you should talk to somebody else too. You know, mm-hmm. something like yeah. that instead of playing it for a laugh. Because the, the, even though there are jokes, even though there are quips, even though there are laugh lines all throughout this movie, and I think they're... They're terrifically written. When he's having the fight uh, in the in the small town with the the woman, and she she says, uh, "You know, was it, a, it you know?" Um, so that's it. Just a cheap, you know, a, uh, oh, a cheap joke oh, and a cheesy yes, yeah. one liner. And he's like, "Lady, that yeah. could be the title of my autobiography." Yes, you know, that was like, fantastic. <laughs> uh, it's such a perfect line. Um, and I think that uh, I think Downey also delivers those jokes a lot better. But like, I think that. Um, I agree. You know, I, it would have been nice to have it end on the more real note uh, because of the fact that it ends on that. You know, the, the movie itself has that more serious approach to things. But and, mm-hmm. and this is a conscious decision on my part. I'm, I'm, I'm grabbing a hold of the wheel here and I'm turning us down a lane that I always want to try to get to and that I'm, I am very, very interested in with this. The score. This time we get Brian Tyler. And we've we've gone. This is our our third crack at an Iron Man score. We haven't really been blown away by what's come before. What do you think of the score to Iron Man three? Oh, it's so good. I mean, it really is. Uh, Brian Tyler here. Um, he was recruited specifically by Feige to create a more symphonic score, not just an action score, and to create a theme for Iron Man. And. I mean, especially by the time you end the movie and that full-on theme comes, it seems so Iron Man. Yep. Um, It's contemporary and yet classic all at the same time. I think he works in a lot of great material throughout the score. I, I honestly enjoy listening to this. This is the only Iron Man score to which I consistently listen to just when I'm, like, working or whatnot because I enjoy what Tyler's created. But I mean, I'll never understand why with the Marvel films that this wasn't from day one what they were looking for for their scores. The sense of, hey, every single character that we have, they need to have a theme that is something that people have in their brains. So that when you hear the name Iron Man, you immediately think, bum, 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 you know, like you hear that bouncing theme, which is, are the same way you do with Cap or with the Avengers. Like, and, and we praised the Thor score, but I can't remember the Thor theme at all, you know? And so I'm, I'm always surprised and, and, and I'll be honest, it continues to be a problem throughout the rest of the series. Um, and so, and what's great here is that Shane Black does not just rely on a bunch of pop music to tell us who Tony is. Yes. The score gets to do that. Yes. And we have a couple of great little, you know, you know, needle drops, which are great when, you know, he's like 
dancing, you know, in his uh, in his uh-huh. uh, work room, and you know, he drops the needle, and it's the Christmas song and everything, which you know, classic, great, love it. Um, but the score gets to help tell the story for Tony, and I think that's one of the things that makes this so nice is that. It is something we're paying more attention to than that, oh, what's going to be the next needle drop? And this is not the last time we're going to encounter Mr. Tyler on our journey, uh, but we'll have to determine whether it's as successful when he when he comes back. And the thing is, yes. Brian Tyler, I, he's not a name that people kick around. People, If I say the words Hans Zimmer, even my wife will be like, oh, yeah, yeah. him, right? Like, So he's not John Williams or anything like that. But this guy has done some really great music work, and so it's mm-hmm. it's thrilling to have him in this role. And I that end credit sequence, if I if I listen to that, I'm instantly in a better mood. Like it actually mm-hmm. elevates my mood yeah. to listen to that end credit sequence because it is just so much fun. Like it's energy. It it is Tony Stark. It's energy mm-hmm. and quirky and catchy and. And slick, and I will also say that Mr. Tyler is responsible for the score for the fat, uh, the Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift, as well as Fast and Furious, and uh, the sixth one in the Fast franchise, as well as 2008's Rambo. So, uh, you know, those are just a few. He also did the Expendables. I mean, he's done some really good scores. Yeah. Some of the movies yeah. not so great, but you know, he's done some really, really great scores. And it's I, I would hope that we would get um, some more of Brian Tyler after this, but will it go as well? You know, again, I don't know. We'll I mean, we'll out. have to wait till our next movie with Thor, the dark world where he comes back yeah. and age of Ultron, where he works with Danny Elfman. So, yeah, yeah. Those are things. So that basically happen. he's responsible for two of the next three films we'll be covering. So that's yeah, true. Well, the really sound of them, at least the sound of them, at, le- but at least the sound aside from sound, inevitable question with any effects laden movie, something that has, I still remember in, in the halcyon days of 1999, when they talked about the number of effects shots in star Wars episode one, the phantom mess. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone was like, Oh my gosh, but this, you look at this and it's like, what isn't an effects shot in this movie? What doesn't oh, have an yeah, effect in it? Yeah. Do yeah. you think the effects hold up? Mm-hmm. Do you think that they were successful at the time? Do you think they work now? I have actually always been very impressed with the effects in this movie, even from the time this movie came out. I think the best effect sequence is actually the attack on the house. Yes. It looks great. I think one of the things that is interesting here is we are making the transition to the suits feeling more CGI'd. Yep. It's part of the, the, the gig. And yet I think he's still able to create in many of the, the suits, this texture that the artists are creating this texture to which doesn't feel cartoony. Yep. Which is great. And I love the effects of this movie. Um, you know, there's probably a few places where they would be a little bit better uh, now. But I think this feels like a movie. The lighting choices are perfect for the effects they're going for. 
uh, the end of the film with the massive battle that they have with all the suits and everything, it's it's at night. So yep. you're able to hide a lot of imperfections in CGI in any way, shape, or form. And that scene still looks great. Yep. Um, I think I'm very impressed with how this movie still works. And I think part of that has to do with a lot of the restraint. I'm also got to give a lot of credit to the sequence where they're sky falling. I w- th- that's the one I was gonna gonna hitch on was yes I agree with you about the the attack on the house I think the ending plays really great but that scene where they're plummeting and he's going after them is so wonderfully done I will go so far as to say that Iron Man finally got a Superman moment in that sequence because mm-hmm. you actually had that. Sweaty palms, how on earth is he going to pull this off? I need my hero to succeed. I can't even let that one guy fall in the water sort of thing. And so that is a great sequence, although I will say that as somebody who hates to fly, and when I say hates to fly, you can't possibly understand how much I hate to fly. Still do it when I have to, but... uh, I mean, statistically speaking, it is still the safest way to travel. Yeah, okay. Sure. Yeah, if you're impervious and from Krypton, sure. But the uh <laughs> I I all all of this to say that as I watch that sequence, it is precisely what my brain thinks is going to happen every time I get on an airplane. I'm like, all right, explosive decompression, what's it gonna feel like to fall? Oh my god, can anybody save me? I mean, like, you know, like it's seriously like the worst fear in the like the opening of uh, the truly incredible movie Flight by Robert Zemeckis starring uh, Denzel Washington. And this mm-hmm. sequence absolutely sent me into, like I have to, I'm watching it through my hands because I'm like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I think is going to happen every time. <laughs> so That's hilarious. And it never does. So you're fine. Yeah. I'm sure it's fine. Only takes one time, Matt. One time. Mm-hmm. Only takes one yeah. time for it to happen. Um, well, when it happens, let me know. Um, <laughs> I'll, call, I'll call you as I'm plummeting. What's okay. this, MFR? I told you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, I'm as we've been talking about the movie, I, honestly, I think you know we've had a lot of effusive praise for the film. There, I don't feel like there's really been anything that we've been down on other than the point where we thought it might have been nice to have some representation of some actual therapy. Um, good or bad, was there anything else about this film that just really stood out to you? Or or was there anything in the rewatch that stuck out to you that changed in the sense that like you liked it more? Did it stay the same? Did anything get worse? Uh, everybody in the world is going to hate me. Because my opinion is virtually unchanged and probably went up a little bit because this is my first time watching it in a very long time. And I was trying to poke holes and I it it moves. It just it it flows. It handles a lot of very complex stuff. The humor is really well balanced. I believe all of these characters I think at the very end, it sort of pushes my patience a little bit with uh, the Paltrow 1000. Um, That's maybe a bridge that goes a little Mm -hmm. far, but I have so much fun watching the movie. And this seems to be somebody finally cracking the code to. I have to give I have to give him I have to give Shane Black credit. 
this is probably the best female character development and performance in Marvel, at least up to this point, where I actually thought that the woman had a great, was a great role, was mm-hmm. performed really well. I not and not just Paltrow, right? Like the 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 women in this movie really work. They're not just token characters. There there's real life breathed into these characters, and I yeah I like them a lot. Like when when people talk about well, there should be more you know women characters in movies that have more to do. They're integral to everything that's going on, and uh, I you know I, I begrudgingly. I have to say that even even if I had a little bit of a problem at the time with, you know, as I jokingly said, the Paltrow 1000, this time it really does work on mm-hmm. because it 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 supports that theme that Tony can't do it alone. That right. Iron Man 1, he's trying to do it all alone. Iron Man 2 is a jumbled mess. In this one, it's the sense that even if it's not the Avengers, Tony has people that love and support him around him all the time. And that's how he's going to survive. So it works. What about you? What would you ding it for? Yeah, I got to give it to you there because I think you called out something that obviously we hadn't talked about uh, enough in, in, at all really in this movie. But and I think that what's so beautiful about this, this whole movie is about Tony talking about the demons that we create. Hmm. You know, and obviously great reference to Demon in a Bottle and, you know, his his struggles there. But for him, what we see his demon is is technology and the and the absent minded choices that he's made that lead him to this place and others in his life. The choices that Tony has made are the ones that put Pepper in this danger, the ones that almost take Pepper from him and she becomes the thing to which he says, I can't lose. Kind of Anakin-ish. Which yeah. is exactly what will lead him to make all of the choices from now on. This True. idea of wanting to not only protect Pepper, but the rest of the world is the kernel that they will take for the rest of Tony's arc. All the way through, you know, Endgame. All the choices that he makes. True. Good and bad. And... So I, I think that that is absolutely brilliant. And, and like you, as I was rewatching this film, I was saying this movie is really working together very well on all levels. Uh, I ha- I'm right there with you. I think what's great about this movie is unlike you know Iron Man 2, Pepper has much more to do. She's much more integral to the role here. Um, I do I was always kind of shocked, you know, that they had her go through the metamorphosis. They Marvel reset button it by the end. She never, you know, she doesn't stay with these powers. Even though I was thinking, wow, wouldn't it be kind of cool if, you know, Pepper <laughs> ended up being a superhero too. Um, she'll get her suit later on. Uh, but I, you know, that, I, I thought it was really funny the way we, they dealt with Happy here and they gave him more to do and even growth as a character. Um, and I was just very excited in rewatching this movie, how well, not only it holds up, but like you said, I'm never bored. The action moves, the story moves, the thematic elements move. 
everything is working together the way that you would want a film to be working, uh, especially in a rewatch. And so, you know, I think for me, the only thing that's changed is maybe my estimation of this film has gone up, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, I mean, I guess we're at that point where we would say, what would you rate Iron Man three? I'm terrified to give it a rating because I was discussing this with a coworker over lunch and I started talking about the same thing that I, that we've laid out here, all the stuff that I liked and everything. And the reaction was not positive. I was, I was reminded that this is an incredibly divisive movie for the fan base, that there are a lot of people that really don't like Iron Man three. Um, and so it's, it's one of those Can things. Can I ask you about that before we yeah. get to the ratings then? Mm-hmm. When you talk to people or when you hear from people, what is it that you think that maybe people don't respond to in this movie? We we are obviously responding to this, but what do, do you pick up that people aren't responding to? Uh, a lot of people don't like the kid. A lot of people don't like the Mandarin being a front, uh, which we mentioned that before. But they really get down into very nitpicky sorts of things about how the armor behaves, about how... Uh, you know, the physics of this or the physics of that. And I think we, we both addressed that earlier where it's Avengers was the reset button. We're in comic book world now. Mm-hmm. And okay. Like everything behaves according to its own rules. That's fine. I'm sure that there's somebody that, you know, could, could come at that statement and have a problem with it or whatever. But mm-hmm. it just seems like a, if I were to play armchair analyst, I would venture that maybe what what immediately calcified for a lot of people was this is uh, very much a departure from what Avengers was. Avengers is very quick and light and surface level and super entertaining. And this is super entertaining, but super deep and exploring a lot of really uncomfortable sorts of things and taking your character in a direction you don't expect. And like you said, he's he's out of the armor for a whole lot of the movie. And I've heard that complaint too. It's a movie about Iron Man. There's barely any Iron Man. It's like, well, he can't have him in the suit the whole time, right? Like, there there are things. I, I would just say that um, I, I guess it just doesn't mesh for people because it, it almost seems to me as if people dislike it as much as or more than Iron Man 2. And okay. Uh, but for me, like I, th- this is the difficult part is I'm having trouble thinking of what to deduct from it, of why I would deduct from it. And so I find myself boxed in to give it a five mm-hmm. because wow, it's at, le- it's at <laughs> least, it's at least a four and a half. But as I mm-hmm. sat there and I rewatched it and I'm talking with you, I'm like, Maybe there's some nitpicky stuff. Maybe, you know, the battle could have been trimmed mm-hmm. a little bit here or there. But, yeah, this is the, – I I won't lie. This is the movie where when I finally did see it, which would have been just a couple of months after it was out, you know, on, you know, rented disc or whatever, where I would have been – this would have been the one – not Avengers so much as this would have been the one where I would have been on board and said, if if this is what they're going to give to me, I am all in on this Marvel stuff. Amen and hallelujah. Mm-hmm. Sign me up right now. So yeah. that's where I end up. Just because just because wow. if I'm gonna be honest, I 
what am I going to ding it for? What what did I dislike? Mm. There's nothing I actually disliked right. in this movie. What about you? Oh man, I. It's funny we we talk about this and like I've struggled with some of the ratings and and you're absolutely right. You know, as I I went back to Letterboxd and I was looking at you know I logged the film and the film was at a four and. I honestly believe that I have to, in intellectual honesty to myself, this movie is four and a half out of five. Fair. It is a fantastic Marvel movie. And it, in all honesty, as we're going through so far, if I'm thinking about all of phase one and the beginning here of phase two, this would be one that I'm more likely to pop in than just about any of the films that we've talked about so far. And that, to me, uh, you know, rewatchability in a film like this is is phenomenal. And part of that is all the things that we talked about, how much this movie is cohesive within itself. And, and that's for the thematic elements we talked about, for the character growth we talked about, for the use of other characters that we talked about for the writing, for, you know, all of these things which are so important to make a cohesive whole in a movie. And so, yeah, I mean, I hey, I'm, I'm not going to lie. This is a four-and-a-half-star movie, and like you, I mean, there may be a time when I could be like, eh, yeah, I, I, I could give it five stars, at least 4.75, you know? Right. like yeah. It's, Maybe 4.76. Ex- you know? Exactly. You never know. Yeah. So uh, I guess with all that said, then, John, it's going to be fascinating to see what your rankings are. No, I just put this at the top of them. It's Iron, okay. it's Iron Man 3, Iron Man, uh, Captain America. Um, and where did I go after that? See, this, this, is the, this is the part. This is the part. Okay. And the bottom of it, I know, is Iron Man 2. Like we let, let me just yeah, I'll I'll circle back to that. So let, let uh, as far as I remember, your let, uh, rankings would have made. I think it was Iron uh, Incredible Hulk next. Yes, Incredible Hulk, then Avengers, then Thor, and then somebody please just keep jumping on top of Iron Man two and punching it on top of the head and dismantle it. What about you? Oh man, um, I'm thinking. And because this is a really, this is a shift for me, is, and, and the question is, is that, for me, the top is still Iron Man. Um, and the, and I'm really struggling here, because do I put Iron Man 3 next? Yes, you do. Or is it Captain America? No, it's Iron Man 3. I hate to break it to you. That's what it is. And I freaking hate you. You know I'm right. I know you're right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you, you mother fracker, I'm hey going to have to put Iron Man 3 next. There you and go. I hate doing that because you know how much I love Cap. But that means that it's Iron Man, Iron Man 3, Captain America, the first Avenger. Uh, then it's um, the Incredible Hulk. Then it's the Avengers. Uh, and then, of course, uh, it's going to be Iron Man 2. Uh, and then all the way down at the bottom where it belongs right now is Thor. 
So. Boy, it's going to be interesting to see where those rankings, which end of the scale gets shaken up with the next movie, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, are we giving you anything away? Are we giving anything away? Yeah, I, can you believe, though, have just that we away. just put... Okay, can we just... I, Iron Man 3 just went to the top for you, yep. and it's second for me right now. Yep. That's incredible. It kind of That's is. what makes this fun. It, oh my gosh. It kind of does. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? Like, I don't... Ah, oh, it's amazing. And the thing is, uh, you know what? If anybody wants to uh, send you hate mail online, where can they find you? Well, they probably do. Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter, Instagram, all those places under the name MattRushing02. Uh, you can also find me, of course, here on the network with the main 602 Club show where we're talking about all of the fandoms that we love, um, not just Marvel. Of course, you could also find you know John and I's other bonus show here, Snyder Cuts. We're going to have a bonus episode coming up there soon. We've got a new movie to talk about there in the Snyderverse. And, of course, I'm also doing Literary Treks, The Orb, and Warp 5. Literary Treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek. The Orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And Warp 5 is about Star Trek Enterprise. And then over on the Nerd Party Network, um, I did a show. It's finished now. It's called Owl Post with Drea Kaufman. We talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. And then I love this guy so much. We spend time talking about a whole other franchise together on aggressive negotiations. John Mills and I, we talk about Star Wars. So we hope you'll check that out. But John, I'm exhausted after that. So where can people find you? Well, like you said, hey, aggressive negotiations. You can find me over there on the Nerd Party with Matt talking about Star Wars, having a lot of fun, just like we do on this show if you haven't listened to it yet. Uh, you can also find me on the Nerd Party uh, co-hosting a show called House Lights, where we look at the work of directors chopped up and served up in various different combinations. And we got a terrific recommendation from a listener there uh, where we we may be doing something very, very fun and interesting uh, in the short term. So uh, stay tuned on House Lights. But mainly just look for Kessel Junkie out there, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. That's where I go cause trouble out there online. Well, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Avengers! Avengers!